Hello. Max, how are you? I'm doing great, Dan. I'm so glad you called. Of course. You and I used to do radio together in college, but you are also a songwriter. Yeah, try to be. Have you ever written someone a love song? Um, I definitely have written a song about somebody, but I don't know if I've crafted a love song and presented it to said lover. Is that something you think you'd be willing to do? Yeah, if the, if the, term, if the conditions were right. It's kind of a little embarrassing. It's, it's either going to be corny and comedic, or it would be deep and serious, and I'd never want to share it. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever promised to write someone a theme song? <laughs> uh, yeah, for sure. Some I've delivered, and uh, most I haven't. I originally asked you to write the theme song. It's, it doesn't happen overnight. I just started listening to your podcast, and I'm so glad I didn't throw one out there, because I was writing a... I was trying to write like a uh, sad, slow song to accompany your podcast. Mm -hmm. You know how you're a romantic and you care a lot about it. Sure. Well, this is just much more entertaining. Um, I'm still working on it. I I have a couple set of lyrics, but... You can't rush perfection. uh, Yeah, until you just hold it all off or you procrastinate. (laughs) Well, I'm sure everybody looks forward to your song. Thank you. you. You won't. You won't know the day I drop it. I'll just send it to we'll you. Ju- we'll just put it in the show. But in the meantime, here's our current theme song. Welcome to Out of Love. I'm Dan Casarella, and I'm not going to write you a love song because you asked for it, because you need one. Have you ever heard a song and wish you'd written it? It sounds so specific to your life and how you feel, and you wonder how it could be so universal. It completely miffs you. I've had that feeling multiple, multiple times with a lot of songs, and so I wanted to talk to some songwriter friends about how they write love songs specifically. What influences them? How do you take intangible feelings and turn them into a melody? And are they ever afraid to show that and share that with others? On today's show, we're going to talk to three songwriters. Melody from Sweetbreads, Sean from Steady Hands, and Katie from No Thank You, to learn how they turn their emotions into love songs, their inspirations, and how they impact their lives. First, I talked to Melody from Sweetbreads, a Brooklyn-based songwriter. Melody's 2018 EP, Introducing, is a catalog of songs about specific people anchored by a biting song about longing for a manipulative ex-lover. Here's a sample of that song, Ben. Melody and I talk about writing songs about real people, her reflections on Ben, years removed, and if time really does heal all wounds. Here's Melody. 
All right, Melody, thank you so much for coming on with us today. Yeah, thank you for asking me. I'm super excited. Of course. Now, you and I don't know each other at all, and so I'm very grateful that you came on. What compelled you to kind of come on and talk about love? My my friend Virginia connected us. The questions you sent me, it was like really funny because the music that I have online is like pretty old and mm-hmm. um, I'm in like a new relationship now. So the questions you asked me were like really getting my mind going about the new love that I'm experiencing, which mm-hmm. feels really great. But <laughs> I, a lot of my songs reflect a different sort of perspective on love. Are you very self-reflective of your work or do you kind of just put it out and then once it's there, it's there? Yeah, I'm really critical and I didn't even want to release that EP. There's a lot about it that like I was afraid to share. But, you know, after a while, you just feel like you're like sitting on a group of songs and you feel like, okay, like if I don't put this out there, no one's ever going to hear it. Like, what's the point of even doing it? And then I sort of just like jump off the ledge and put it out there so that I don't know, I can sleep easier at night. (laughs) I feel like when I'm writing the lyrics, it can be pretty grueling. I think most songwriters would relate to this. Like you have your idols Mm -hmm. and you're always trying to like live up to the inspiration they give you and you never do. (laughs) I don't even come close. Who are your idols? I really, really love like Joanna Newsom. Mm-hmm. And like Joni Mitchell, of course, I tend to like like female songwriters. I, like I gravitate towards that because I'm a woman and I like hearing those perspectives mm-hmm. a lot. But I would say if I was trying to like live up to someone, it would definitely be Joanna Newsom. And my music is nothing like hers. Like I just think her poetry is incredible and she's very like inventive and strange what is what is the birth of a song for you? How, what is your songwriting process? It's changed over the years because I'm trying to get a little more of a, a practice with it where I'm doing mm-hmm. it more often. And I write with my lead guitarist and my band, Nick Watt, a lot because we're really close and we, we get how each other's mind works and we can sort of like press each other when we're like, ah, I feel like that rhyme is bad or like that sounds really corny. But... I was a singer before I was a songwriter, so I'm really drawn to melodies, and I tend to, like, think up a melody and then build some chords around that, and usually, like, a phrase or two will come to mind, and then it's sort of a puzzle of, like, sorting through your own thoughts and coming up with what the song is actually about, but I definitely start with a melody. I know Mm -hmm. some songwriters don't. It's, like, it's really different with everybody, but... That's where my mind goes first, is like to a tune. And I would imagine it's easier to write lyrics once you kind of know how you're going to sing them too. Yeah, yes, because you have like the pentameter of the the melody. You don't want to like overcrowd a phrase. So it helps. It helps to have that sort of framework. And then the hardest part is saying how you really feel. <laughs> I, I always am so afraid of that. But when it finally cracks open and you get to the heart of what your song is about, it feels really good. And then the process becomes a lot easier. But you can go through a lot of like iterations of what you think your song might be about. And they'll feel wrong for a really long time. And you'll go through like hating the song. And then finally, you'll be like, ah, okay, I get it now. And 
it rolls out. Have you written lyrics where you're like, well, I can never record that. That's that's way too open and obvious and everyone's going to know what I'm talking about. Yes. It's always really scary, especially because if you're writing from a vulnerable place and you're writing about like dark emotions, you mm-hmm. can get really afraid that people are going to like read too much into it or take it personally. Like I always get afraid that like people I know will read too much into my songs and like think it's about them and mm-hmm. get sad. <laughs> I don't know. Have you ever been confronted about that? Has anyone been like, hey, that song's about me. It's kind of messed up. No, I mean, that's what's really nice is that most of the time people are delighted when they find out a song is about them. Um, I've never really done a song that's like super vindictive. I've just done songs that are like, I I don't even know how to describe it. But that's another thing is like, I listen to lyrics first. I feel like there are two types of music listeners. There are people who listen to the actual like instrumentation. Mm -hmm. And there are people who listen to the lyrics. And it's sort of surprising how many people are more of just like, they're into the tune and what the music actually sounds like and Mm -hmm. don't even know what the words are. So I I feel like a lot of people just don't even think about it. They're just like, oh, that's a nice song. And they move on with their lives. But I mean, I have that one song on my EP that is called Ben. Mm -hmm. And that was a song about a guy who like, I fell in love with and he broke my heart, you know, and I did send that song to him and he loved it, but oh, really? you know, he's like a very messed up person. So I, I feel like he, it spoke to his like, um, narcissistic nature. Yeah. Nicole is a song about like a coworker that I had who mm-hmm. was also a life coach. Oh, and I, I don't think she's, she's ever heard the song. And then, um, really you never sent it to her? No, no. I, that's one of those ones where I was like, eh, I don't feel like he needs to know about it. Especially cause I don't work there anymore. I mentioned a, a woman named Molly in one of my songs too. And she was my manager at this job that I was like super depressed at while I worked there. <laughs> so yeah, she was always talking to me about my attitude. It was a sales job. So they're like always telling you to try to like believe in yourself. And I just thought that that was like a crock of bullshit. Ben, Nicole, Molly, those are all real. Like you didn't change their names. You use their real names. Yeah, I did. I feel like I wouldn't do that now. Yeah. But at the time that I wrote those songs, I was a, I was a relatively new songwriter. And especially with like Ben, it was such a strong emotion that it helped to know that like he could hear this song and like know the pain he caused me. Um, but I, I feel like now I I kind of make up my stories a little bit more rather than just have them like be directly taken from my life. Well, it's interesting that song Ben, which which starts off your EP introductions. It it's like I guess you could call it a type of long love song, but it's more of a longing song. Yeah, I I was like desperately in love with this person who, you know, did not treat me the way anyone should be treated. And I feel like at the time I was like maybe 23 or something. I hadn't I had gone through like one very serious relationship, but I it was sort of like a low point in my life where I was looking outward to like fix what was inward and Yeah, I think I just pinned a lot of how I felt about myself on him. So the song's about that, just feeling like you're at the mercy of this person who doesn't care about you, you know? Yeah, and it seems like when 
they don't care about you, they're indifferent to you, then you become more drawn to them and more craving of their attention. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. Love stinks until it doesn't. (laughs) And then even then it's hard. Well, it's funny because you have a line in that song where you write, I'm told time will kill everything, but my lust is a weed. I just keep watering. And obviously that song came out a couple of years ago. Do, do you now believe being years removed that time does heal all wounds? <laughs> um, yeah, I think so. I Or more that I'm just like really glad I went through that because, you know, I still see a lot of people who are my friends who who don't really know how to like let love in in the right way. And I feel like that experience really taught me like what not to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like heart shattering, but you know, putting, putting the pieces of your heart back together, you're stronger afterwards. Uh, and I definitely think that's the case with, um, major heartbreaks in my life. And so I guess time heals wounds or makes you stronger. At least I always find like the everything will be all right. Time heals all wounds. Advice is always a little obnoxious at the at, at the time because you're like I get I understand big picture. We're gonna be okay. But like right now, I'm in pain and I'm in emotional, and I could use a little bit more than a generic. Oh, we'll be all right. Yeah, like a pat on the back or something. I mean, I, I don't know if you want to get into like what we're going through collectively. I feel like that's definitely a thing that like we no one feels like there's a light at the tunnel and it doesn't feel good to just hear like oh we'll get through it when when you feel like there's no solution and that's what having your heart broken is like i think when you're older you kind of that feeling gets numbed a bit just because you've experienced so much of life like even if you haven't had like a big romantic heartbreak you just know that you can get through pretty much anything but when you're like in young adulthood it just seems like your world is crashing like i i feel really bad for for teenagers and young adults right now when everything is so uncertain. And it's so insulting when people try and belittle that because they can emotionally comprehend what's going on. And it's like, you got to put yourselves in their shoes, man. Like, yeah, it might not seem like a big deal to you and you may have gone through this before, but they haven't. And this is new and it's traumatic to them. Yeah. People forget what it's like to be young and to have a smaller worldview. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it's also tricky because I think back on when I was younger and I'm just like, I used to think I had all the answers to everything. Like I must've been so annoying, but at the same time, it was never good to hear that sort of response when I was like opening up about how I was feeling. I wish that people were better at just listening Yeah, I mean, the most important thing when someone is opening up to you is to understand and value what they're saying, listen to them, and by no means start making it about yourself. No, that's never good. You got to like give it time to marinate. I really do like anecdotes, like when people sort of share their experiences with me when I'm really hurting. If it's at the right moment, I'll be like, wow, yeah, like I feel a lot less alone feeling your emotions is a really important part of mental health and your emotions inform who you are and what you do. So when you're in touch with them and you're talking with them and they're helping you be the better version of yourself, instead of holding you back, you will be the most ideal version. Yeah. I feel like being in touch with your emotions 
is like such a process, but it's mm-hmm. so worth it. And I wish that more people would invest in their mental health and see that as like a really important part of your knowledge of yourself. Absolutely. Do you, do you find that people are, are more guarded in like the a digital age and the social media age? I don't know. I feel like I'm really lucky to be surrounded by good people. And I know mostly artists. I constantly have to remind myself like, oh, not everyone had the opportunity to like go to art school. Like I went to an art camp where our teacher like made the girls wear briefs with like socks and balls sewn into them. <laughs> what? And like the guys had to walk around with like gravel and bras to like get a sense of like what it was like to be the opposite sex. Uh-huh. And that was like such a normal thing for me. I was like, oh yeah, this is theater camp. Woo. And I tell people that and they're like, what the heck is going on? Like, How long do you have to walk around with that? Yeah. For like, I don't know, like 20 minutes. It was okay. like a movement class. In an email you and I were talking about, you, you have like new love songs that you've written and you haven't recorded yet. What was different about writing those in this new relationship versus writing these more painful songs that are on introductions? Yeah. um, Well, one of them is about an ex of mine who we parted ways on like really good terms. Mm -hmm. And I just needed to like move from where we were both living and, and be back in New York. Mm -hmm. I had moved to Athens, Georgia and got into a relationship there and it was a really lovely relationship. But then ultimately I was like, I really miss New York and, they Georgia was their home and they didn't want to leave. So I went back to New York and I feel like the first year of being apart from them was just like trying really hard to find that independence again. Mm -hmm. And so one of the songs that I've written, that's a newer song is about when you kind of let your guard down and admit to yourself that you're still missing that person Mm -hmm. and that they still mean so much to you. And you, you do wish that you could be with them. So that's, that's one of them. Another one is about the feeling I was describing like a minute ago where um, I was just, I'm just like holding on for dear life and resisting um, falling in love with someone because I, because it makes you so vulnerable and feeling like you have this like force that comes into your life and is a beautiful, creates like a beautiful mess and sort of like, deconstruct you and you have to like build yourself back up because you want to with this person mm-hmm. yeah that that's like the most recent song that i wrote it's called riptide it's funny the the first song you mentioned about that relationship in athens georgia i i we spoke off air a little bit how i lived in los angeles i went through a similar experience when i moved to la and it is hard when you leave on good terms to find that balance of are we still friends? Do we need space? What is this person to me now? And it's it's super weird because like this far corner of your brain like really wants you to believe that like somehow it will work out and like mm-hmm. you'll settle your differences and like come back together again because you feel like best friends and you know eventually like I guess that is a example of time healing all wounds. You yeah. kind of if you stay friends, you you sort of realize that like 
you're both carrying on with your lives in different ways and the paths are just like moving farther and farther apart and that's okay. It's, it's tricky. You don't know if it's good to, to maintain that relationship in any capacity. You don't know, you know, you want to be friendly, you want to be helpful, but you don't know if that is necessarily the right thing or if being distant is better to, to heal the wound. Oh my gosh. Yeah. We would go through times where like, we wouldn't talk for a few months and I'd be like, Oh, maybe that's what they want. Like I just shouldn't, shouldn't reach out to them. And then of course, like a text or a phone call and you feel this like rush of emotion again. And you're mm-hmm. like, ah, where, where are we? We're back to square one. But um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm really happy that I can be friends with my ex and that our lives are just moving forward. It's not like anyone's like frozen in time and they just stay the same, mm-hmm. which I think you can kind of fear when you do separate from someone that you love like that. But then, you know, it, it's nice to see both of you are moving on and progressing and growing. I've been asking every guest on the show what their favorite act of love is. And then I have to explain that that is not a sexual question. So <laughs> I, I think this is the first show that I will uh, reword that question into what is your favorite gesture of love? Uh, this is going to get really sad. <laughs> my my grandparents' grandmother had an aneurysm and she was like mm. paralyzed on the right half of her body. And I remember like when she was in the hospital, like she didn't get better and both of my grandparents have passed since then. But when she was in rehab and everything, I remember my opa would stand next to her and hold her right hand Hmm. And, like, try to give her the sense that, like, she could feel him holding her mm-hmm. and, like, believing that she could get better, which at the time, like, I thought it was really sweet. Like, this this hope that you always want the person you love to get better. <laughs> and having them know that there's someone by their side. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was such a, a nice, enlightening conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. It was of course. Fun. You can find Introducing on Bandcamp and follow Sweetbreads on Instagram at Sweetbreads Music for updates on their latest music. Next up, I talk to my old friend, the original Rude Boy of Rock, Sean Huber of Steady Hands. Sean used to come on my old college radio show all the time. He used to be on Drexel's football team, which is an improv group. So at the end of all of his appearances, I would make him improvise a song. Now, I didn't make him do that this time around. This time we talked about Sean's song, Won't Let You Go, which is a departure from his usual sound. Sean wrote this ballad for his then-girlfriend, Kat, who is now his wife, who was living in England at the time while he was touring the world. How is your morning? Cause I'm still awake your eyes as I sit in the dark alone wasting away won't you give me an answer it's too hard to explain how I found someone so true and so lovely but so far away
I talked to Sean about his songwriting process, and he in turn told me why proposing at Newark Airport is more romantic than it sounds. Fair trade-off, I think. Here's Sean. I could Sean, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me, bud. Of course. You, you've written a few love songs in your discography, and you, I think, came on the old show right after you released your first EP, I believe. And from the Libertines to your first album, Rude Boys of Rock, there's kind of a evolution, but also like an, a common theme in your, your songwriting, especially your more sentimental songs. There seems to be like distance and longing really plays a, a big role in those songs. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that comes from the time in my life that I started to put out music and take songwriting seriously, whether it's literal in that I, I began traveling quite a bit, or you think of more about that time in your life where you're not on your own for the first time, but transitioning out of being in college and going into the real world. And there's a lot of adventure that comes along with that. Mm-hmm. So I kind of gravitated towards those type of stories. And I certainly chose to try to travel as much as I could. So you were going on tour all the time during that yeah, period of your life too. You were exploring this country and, and going into Europe. And you even did some tours where you just took an acoustic guitar and went to like Ireland, I believe, right? Yeah. Um, and that was a big inspiration for starting Steady Hands in the first place because mm-hmm. obviously I've always loved to create and I always loved being in bands. But there still was such a um, a passion about getting out there or, and using music as a way to explore and discover. So as soon as I had that opportunity, I took advantage of it. And, you know, I kind of use that as a way for a bit of self-discovery as I, uh, you know, traveled a bit around and got to play some solo shows. And you met your wife while you were on the road, correct? Yeah, I actually, I, I met my wife the first show of my first European tour. How did you meet? Uh, I actually, I played her local pub. You know, it wasn't a very long search. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just kind of... First stop. Yeah, first stop. I'm good. <laughs> I kind of, uh, I think that's the way I am with a lot of things. I find something that works. That's so beautiful to be so solid in your decision making. Yeah, I, I don't know if that uh, comes from uh, just being arrogant or or laziness but i like to think it's it's something better than that i think i just know what i like so you were living in philadelphia at the time you met your wife who lived in england yes i was and i say living loosely not to mean that i didn't have a place to lay my head because i absolutely did i have plenty of places but that was really when i first toured started touring really hardcore so pretty much on the road constantly Mm -hmm. i would be back for really really brisk little jaunts. But at the time, I was definitely spending more time away from Philadelphia than I was back at home. What was that like trying to maintain a relationship while constantly traveling? Well, it, it has a lot of difficulties, obviously, that are much more easy nowadays with uh, yeah, of course. all this We should mention media. too that your wife and you both now live in Philadelphia together. We do, yeah. But yeah, at the very beginning, there's certainly um, some difficulties made easier by modern technology. With that said, I don't think it was that different than having any type of long distance relationship because, you know, even though I was traveling so much, it would be kind of the same thing if she was at home in Philadelphia. I would be seeing her just as much. The only difference was while I was traveling, uh, she was at home in England. There's the opening line in Won't Let You Go where you say, how is your morning? 
I, I weirdly find that super, super moving because her morning was your evening. Yeah. And I mean, that goes along with touring. It would constantly change. I had to really be mindful of what time it was where each of our us was at each given time because you know, there was literally a time when I was in Australia, I was in Tasmania and she was back in Philadelphia and it was New Year's Eve. I just remember texting her and being like, are you going to head to the the New Year's party in a couple hours? And she's just like, that's tomorrow. Like you're, <laughs> you're so far off right now. But yeah, that was always, it was, it was always kind of a funny thing where, you know, sometimes like she'd be waking up and starting her day and I would just be like getting back to the bus after the show or at the hotel kind of ending the night. How did you propose? Uh, <laughs> so don't my, write me off when you hear it, but I did propose at the Newark airport, <laughs> Very romantic. <laughs> which, uh, you know, with uh, the way politics are right now has had a different connotation, but at the time, uh, it was much more romantic ago. because it was when uh, she was pseudo, it wasn't officially moving here because we knew she you know, legally couldn't live here at that time. She didn't have any visa outside of a, just a traveler's visa. So, but it was the biggest, biggest jaunt that she planned to visit Philadelphia. And she, we'd been back and forth so many times through a couple of years. So I thought it would just be prudent to just right there. And then she land and say, you're not leaving, which it doesn't really work like that. Still went back and forth plenty of times until we were able to actually seal the deal. But, but yeah, it was uh, surprised her there. Let's get into you writing love songs. Was there like a specific time you were writing that or a specific moment or did it just kind of slowly come together? At that time, I wrote that song. It was, you know, one of the short stints where I was in between tours. So I was in Philadelphia. And at the time, I used to kind of write late in the evenings, just kind of like spent like all night, go late into the evening, just just writing songs. And, and some nights I would come out of that with entire finished complete songs and some nights you know nothing will come out with i think is think it's kind of the nature of it but this was one of those songs that i started it all came together probably within a half hour do you remember the first time you played that song for cat or did you send it to her first definitely send because mm -hmm. we, we are we are not living in the same country at the time what was her reaction she, she was stoked <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> the best you can hope for how do you feel like listening to that back now and remembering how you felt when you wrote it and you first performed it and recorded it. I think yeah, I mean, it's nice. I mean, it's definitely a feeling of nostalgia for that time. I, I, I don't feel any differently than the day I wrote it. It's nice to kind of have a little time capsule of, of that kind of crazy part of our lives. It's always nice hearing that back. And then like any song that you put out, I also have 50 things I would change about it sonically. But yeah, that's why we do this. Well, that's why you get to play it live, too. Exactly. I've been listening to it quite a bit just to prepare for this show. And every time I hear the line, but England's always raining when you're gone, it always catches me off guard. And I've probably listened to it like 50 times within like the last three days. And I always tear up a little bit hearing that. Oh, man, that's beautiful. The, that feeling of you should be here. I miss you. And where you're from misses you, too. I think telling someone that they belong is a really beautiful message that I don't think people hear in their everyday life. Thank you. Yeah, I would agree. Have you ever written a love song that wasn't for your wife before you met her and you had to explain what that was? Um, not that I have ever put out. I'm very lucky in that I didn't start putting out 
songs that I was writing um, until I had done it for just myself for a number of years. You can literally go on Spotify and listen to some of the the first song or you can listen to the first songs mm-hmm. I ever put out. So I don't have years and years of embarrassing high school demos out there on the internet. Do you have them saved? No, I, I really don't because I, I I I didn't record anything. I mean, that's kind of a bummer. I would love to uh cringe and, and listen to things, but I don't have them. So I so I was really lucky in that regard. When the early steady hand stuff was coming out, I think because I was pretty new to songwriting still i think it's um they always say you can catch more flies with honey sure can ruin your honey that way but you get more flies <laughs> exactly I-, I think it's easier to write songs about vinegar so at the oh, beginning wow. i think there was less love songs being written and more angsty songs if they felt like a love song they were inspired by maybe more than one person so i i got away really easy where i didn't have to do much explaining did you yeah. like write love songs for people in high school no i i i didn't do that well in high school <laughs> to be <laughs> honest so so there wasn't much love going in my direction <laughs> maybe if you wrote them a song yeah uh i don't think that would have made a difference where i grew up <laughs> <laughs> I always, when I had crushes, I would always make them like a mix CD in high school. And I would like agonize over like the order and like, you know, what new music they've never heard before. Cause this was before Spotify. Of course. And I would be like, oh, I, I want to seem like real cool. I'm going to put a Pixie song on there. Like no one had known who the Pixies were in 2010. Uh, <laughs> but much like you, I was not successful. Uh, I'm wondering that. whether this, uh, this anecdote about, using a pixie song was before or after fight club came out because if it was before that makes you a lot cooler <laughs> no it was after but oh, okay. it, i don't think i think i'd always put like hey would be the the pixie song i'd use okay deeper cut which is a really fucked up song for a high schooler to give another high schooler sure yeah <laughs> or it'd be like i'd put like two weezer songs on there be like oh i gotta put two on there says well, how i feel yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think also, you know, when I was in high school, being a musician or or listening to not even punk music, just alternative music wasn't really cool. Yeah. Um, I had a small group of friends and we all dug it. But yeah, it was not like a cool thing for some reason. Uh, People were just focused on other stuff in my schools. Yeah, same. It, It was a weird time where it was like there was nothing like soulful or romanticized about being a, a musician. It was like, oh, you like weird music or wear flannel. Yeah, for sure. Like there was no like, I hear people talk about the battle of the bands at their school. And yeah. we didn't have a battle of the bands because there was there was not a band. There was like, you know, some people that played music and then like me and various shit cooker friends got together. And then like eventually like we had a band and mm-hmm. we were the band. There's no one to battle. <laughs> It was, and maybe this is just because we're both from New Jersey, but it was like the only types of bands around me were like hardcore screamo bands. Like no one wanted to try and be like the Foo Fighters. You know, it was like, oh, let's scream and go fast. And it's like, that doesn't bring anybody to your audience. Maybe this was just me and I'm overtly emotional, but like love, the stakes were so much higher in high school when they could not have been lower. Oh, I think that's the case for everyone, particularly for our generation. Uh, be it with, you know, me mentioning growing up in kind of that emo thing happening, 
the stakes felt so high and then we're having all this emo pumped into our heads makes it even higher when you're right they they were so so low it's so funny because like listening to something like my chemical romance and like empathizing your feelings and your heartbreak with that and it's like imagining like a bunch of 20 year olds like recording that and re-recording that and writing that like seems so i don't know i don't want to say inauthentic but it seems so like funny to have to repeatedly try that process over and over again yeah i think funny is more appropriate because you know it's not it wasn't inauthentic to them probably at the time as much as it would be to you or me at the time but I I can equate it even more uh, more modern, you know, like kind of warp tour bands and mm-hmm. you know the emo revival that you know I certainly participated in. But the, you know there was a lot of bands who were um, were self promoting the sad boy thing. And I think at that point I was old enough to have listened to a lot more music and kind of stepped back and thought about it. And I was like. This is this is sad music to you. I was like, have you listened to Leonard Cohen? <laughs> it's a weird thing to to try to own. Yeah, it is very much like the emotional id of music. Yeah. And I think you kind of grow out of that pretty quickly. Like it's hard even, you know, I mentioned I, I loved Weezer in high school. It's hard for me to listen to like Pinkerton now because I'm just not that sad. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, they got rejected. All right, move on. You know, I don't have to like... <laughs> I, I know, yeah, I know Rivers Cuomo ended up all right. He's doing fine. Yeah. And he, like, it's weird for to think about like, huh, a guy in his mid-20s wrote across the sea about an 18-year-old girl in Japan. That's kind of <laughs> weird as we contextualize it as we get older. Yeah, that, that could be said for a lot of things, appropriately yeah. so. Uh, I'm going to ask you one more question. The question I end the show with, and it is... What is your favorite act of love? You know, I think rather than than bringing up something specific, for me, I there's there's moments I feel the absolute strongest about my wife is really when she goes really deep and does something to make me completely lose it laughing. And and I'm not the best at this because I'm always just trying to get my wife to laugh or just mm-hmm. doing things that make me laugh and definitely not her but i think doing something for someone where you can just really really break them into hysteria is more powerful than than a diamond ring in my mm-hmm. opinion because being with someone who makes you laugh is is the most important thing can i tell you something i find beautiful about your relationship please i'd love how you two embrace matching outfits <laughs> I think that speaks volumes to how much fun and how silly you guys want to be together. Absolutely, man. You can't take yourself too seriously. We yeah, uh, not at all. We recently got matching dogs last week, <laughs> so now we I can, saw that. Are they related? No, we're still not sure either one is actually a dog, but they they look a hell of a lot alike. Of course, Sean. Thank you so much for being on with us. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. You can find Steady Hands music on Bandcamp and Spotify. Finally, I talked to Katie from the band No Thank You. No Thank You is an indie rock band out of Philadelphia whose songs peck a quick punch of fuzzy guitar bliss. Katie wrote a song on their debut album Jump Ship called Bad At Love Songs, which caught my attention as a songwriter being overtly honest about their own songwriting ability. Here's a clip.
I don't know. I think it's quite tender and beautiful. I think it's a great love song. So Katie and I discussed just that. Why she thought she was bad at writing love songs. Sharing her love songs with her boyfriend, who's also the band's bassist, Evan. And why Jason Mraz is much worse at writing love songs than she is. Here's Katie. It's funny, when Emily from Lamo Records connected us on email and I first saw your band's name in the subject line and I was like half asleep, I wasn't paying attention and it just said, no, thank you. And I was like, huh, that seems a little rude. (laughs) Do mishaps like that happen often? I wouldn't say mishaps happen often, but I would say a lot of people definitely, when they find out what my band name is, are like, oh, that suits you. And I don't know if that's like a very nice thing for people to say to me, but it's definitely something that I get a lot. Really? Why do you think people say that? I mean, I guess, I don't I, I guess like I tend to be on the pessimistic side, if you will. So <laughs> that is like a, <laughs> it's a one of those thing. things people would say that they wouldn't realize is like an insult. Yeah. Right. But it's kind of a really mean thing to say. <laughs> yeah. You're just saying how you kind of are say you project often or you're a little pessimistic would you consider yourself a romantic or a cynic when it comes to love both very much both i like fall hard and fast for like a month and then i don't care even a little bit about whatever it is that i fell hard in for whether it's like a human being a song a new like video game like whatever it is it's like I love this thing. And then I'm like, oh, who cares? Yeah, I'm exactly the same way where it's like, I will fall in love very easily, be like obsessed. Same thing too with like a TV show, a movie, yeah, book, whatever. Uh-huh. And then you really like wear it out, especially like with music. And you'll try to listen to a song like maybe two months later. And you're like, why did I listen to this nonstop? Like, this is just okay. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a favorite love song? I don't know. So in in preparing for this, I'm like, you know, trying to figure out what exactly we would talk about. I developed this whole, like, whole theory that all songs are love songs. (laughs) Oh, I like this. But then I also realized that not all songs are love songs. I really like that theory because I do think most songs, you know, obviously there's a lot of exceptions, do come from a place of raw emotion and trying to convey a message that you you can't in speech Mm -hmm. you know something like the chicken dance is not a love song but most songs come from powerful emotions would you say that about your work and your music yeah i'm like i am an exceptionally emotional person (laughs) and like sensitive and i feel like everything that i do in life is driven by emotions. So I would say songwriting especially is like a very emotional process for me, especially because it's usually like a cathartic thing. Like I don't oftentimes write like a happy love song or a happy like cruising in the car kind of a song. Like they're all very emotional to me. It's funny in doing my own research on this subject, there's very few purely euphoric love songs. Right. Like very rarely is is the pure emotion of a song just joy. And I think part of that is when you're happy or when good things are going on in your life, you don't really take a moment to realize that Mm -hmm. or you don't take a moment to celebrate or talk about that. It seems like you really just pontificate on the negative aspects of one's life. Definitely. I mean, I think that it's, it's like therapy. It's an emotional release to write about things that are painful. And, you know, you're maybe busy in the beam of happiness when you are feeling that. I would say it's also hard to, it's hard to articulate. I feel like 
it's as hard to articulate or if not harder happiness than sadness or maybe just because it's like less relatable. Yeah, it seems like it's hard to authentically seem happy without just using cliche words and phrases. Yeah. You were saying you all your songs are based on emotion. When you start to write a song that is rooted in like a very powerful feeling and you walk away from it when it's incomplete, when you come back to it, do you find it hard to re-tap into that emotion or get back into that mindset? Not always. Like it does happen from time to time, but what's kind of funny Um, So we just finished recording our third record and the last song that I had to both put lyrics to and sing on um, was a song that is about loving yourself. And that was really hard for me to like come back to. I find that if I'm writing about other people or other things or experiences that I've had, it's very easy for me to get sucked back into that emotion and that moment. But when it's stuff that I struggle with processing, for example, like, (laughs) I don't know how to phrase this. I don't like myself. And that's like the thing that I have the hardest time working on versus like Mm -hmm. a breakup or whatever. So I feel like going back and trying to sing those lyrics was like very hard for me to tap back into like whatever I felt the day that I wrote them. Absolutely. Are you, because I I feel very similarly, it's like there's a lot about oneself that you don't like and you spend so much time with yourself that it's very easy for you to pick apart the flaws. Yeah. How have you sort of been taking care of yourself and trying to practice self-love? For me, it's very health related. So I just tried to exercise and I tried to eat relatively well, drink enough water, smoke enough weed. I mean, I definitely am someone who needs alone time too. And this is like overkill. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That is a way that in regular world times, um, I take care of myself is just sort of isolating for a while to, um, like marinate. That's why we take it a day at a time. Yeah, right? right distract yourself with songwriting would you say is that the easiest way you can find yourself to decompress and distract yourself it's that and it's also a really good way for me to have like self-discovery which i love like that in itself is its own like therapy for me learning about what i'm feeling why i'm feeling it how to express those things like letters to myself and and the people or the things that are making me feel whatever it is that I'm feeling. So what is your songwriting process? Is it lyrics, melody, music? What comes first? Sort of um, very free-flowing. It all starts from like a feeling or an experience that happens that I'm like, this has affected me in whatever way and I need to put a bookmark in this and um, elaborate on it. And it typically starts with me just like writing words But it also could just be, I could hear a melody in my head and I start playing it on guitar and then I like sing along to it, whatever was like my most recent things I was writing down or just like off the top of my head, whatever I'm feeling. And it sort of just like forms from there. It's not, it doesn't really ever feel like super intentional. Lyrically, it's very intentional, but just like as a whole, it's not really. You never feel like you're like forcing the music or the words to come out? I do feel like I'm forcing the words to come out sometimes. And that's when I know when to stop, like, and to Mm -hmm. take a a break from it. But not musically, no. As we're talking about these songs being such 
emotional statements in your life. As a person, you get to that point and you complete a song or complete a work, you've processed the emotion. You know what it's about. What is it like when you bring those songs to the rest of the band? So that's a good question. Um, I get nervous because I'm just naturally ashamed (laughs) of everything I've ever done. So that's like part of it, but just like emotionally and like them understanding the song, it's kind of interesting, especially with our most recent, what we just wrote. So when I, I feel like if I write a song and I bring it to them and Nick, who's my drummer, Nick Holdorf, if I bring things to him, he almost always immediately understands how to, put it into drum language Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like make it feel the way that I'm feeling, which I don't understand how he does it. But I think it's just because like we've listened to enough Dave Matthews and dashboard together to Uh like know what we feel. (laughs) (laughs) And then like Evan is Evan Bernard, my bass player. Who's also my boyfriend. He's interesting to bring songs to because like, they're not always about him. Like if they're like love songs and like, that's an interesting dynamic to go through. He also like, he just like tries to make it feel good. He doesn't necessarily think about like what I'm trying to convey. Interesting. What do you mean by feel good? As in, I don't know. He just wants the song to be like the best it can be. So it's like, what can I write here to like make this the best it can be? I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah. No, um, I get that. He's just like, I want the song to sound good. I mean, he's about how it feels, but not about like the emotion. Yeah, more more of the how can we make it sonically the best song yeah. and not necessarily conveying your lyrics and your emotion right. with the musical part. I gotcha. Whereas I feel like Nick very much is like, okay, I'm going to like hit the drums this way and like have it accent these parts because like, that's how you're feeling. Mm -hmm. Which is funny because it's so much harder to convey emotion in drum or or a range of emotion. I honestly (laughs) have like thought about being near tears, listening to Nick play the drums. That's amazing. That's beautiful. I feel like it's, he's so good at conveying emotion through it. And it's like very powerful to me. It's kind of funny too. Like we, so, you know, we were talking about all the songs on the record and Evan was like, well, this song makes me think of this. So I think it should sound like this. And I'm like, but that's not what it's about. Mm -hmm. And he's like, but that's what it sounds like. And then we have to like figure out how to meet in the middle between like what I'm trying to get across and what he wants it to sound like. How often do you take a step back and you're like, Oh, maybe it would sound better like that. I mean, I'm never happy about it. (laughs) (laughs) I'm always like, um, no, my, my first answer is always no, which is probably why everybody says no. Thank you. It's a good band name for me. There we go. We came right back to it. (laughs) But I say no. And then I can take a step back and say, well, that wasn't very nice. And I should like try to look at other people's perspectives and like, make this like this isn't just mine this is ours and we should Mm -hmm. work together and make it better going off of that there's a lot of emotion in your voice when you're singing when you're recording the vocal parts do you have to re-tap into the emotional state you're in when you were writing it how do you get to that point um yeah sometimes i do have to do that and i mean i think that i think it just comes like i think that because the way that i write is a is so specific to my life and like mm-hmm. my memories and things I've gone through and people in my life. If I close my eyes, I can just be there again. Um, I have a hard time letting go. 
Sure. So I think it's easy for me to just like get back into that mindset. So then once you have the songs recorded and you're putting the album out, if the songs are about a specific person or a specific time, mm-hmm. will you send them to that person? Will you have open, use that to have a conversation or just throw it on Bandcamp and Spotify and hope they never discover it? <laughs> it, it, it depends. Uh, usually it's throw it on Spotify and hope they do discover it and feel remorse. Feel remorse, but would you like them to bring it up to you after they hear it? It depends on who it is. <laughs> I just really want, I mean, I am like very much a revenge songwriter, if you will. And like, if I go through something and I write a song about it, it will have like specific hints and details from like that person or that experience that like Mm -hmm. only the people who are there would like pick up on. And how often will these people pick up on that? I mean, if, if I write a song about you, you're going to know. And you listen oh, wow. to it. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Has that ever been awkward afterwards when someone's like, hey, why would you write that? Why would you write that and post it? Uh... Most of the people that I have scorned in music, at least, are like self-aware. Oh, wow. That's rare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why they hurt me so bad. You know what I mean? Like they know exactly what they're doing. <laughs> yeah, that's no, um, fucked up. Right. My first ever record, Jump Ship, was definitely about a bunch of different things, but it was like it was like a collage of songs that I had written over a very long time that you know didn't necessarily have anything to do with one another or who I was when I was writing it. They didn't really go together in any particular way. And then our second record, All It Takes to Ruin It All, was very, was very much about like the loss of my father and uh, just going through that and having mental health problems, going through all that and family and loss of friends. And just, it was, it was very specific to a time in my life. And I also was the first thing that I wrote with other people. So it was interesting in itself. But now this next record is like very much about other, like another person. Mm-hmm. that like I don't know whether or not they'll ever listen to it or hear it or see it and I definitely know that they will not contact me about it either way so like I'm interested to see what that what that turns into like it's it's a weird thing to put into the world like a personal story what would you hope the reaction would be <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I don't know I don't know I it go from either it being I want them to be extremely sad or I want them to never listen to it. <laughs> yeah. You don't want them to have power over you. Yeah. So going on from, so once the, the songs are released, you start to play them live. Are you nervous about playing them live as far as will the audience connect with them? Can I get back into that emotional state of mind? I'll answer that in two ways. I'm not really nervous about audiences connecting. Like I think that if people find something in, in it that they can relate to. That's awesome. But like, Mm -hmm. I'm very much, I'm someone who just writes things because I want to, I don't really, I don't know. I never really know how to, how to anticipate how anyone else is going to feel about it or think about it. But I think tapping into the emotions while you're performing is like so important from a performance aspect. I will say with our last record, I felt very like almost numb 
mm-hmm. by the end of it, by the end of playing all those songs, which was really kind of sad because it was like such a, an important like thing for me to write. It was like all about mourning. And I just, there was like a sense of like losing, losing steam. If it's, if you just do it too much, maybe. Do you worry about that? I guess I worry about it in a sense of like my own mental health too. Like how many times Mm -hmm. do I want to relive it? And I think that maybe like the losing steam is a defense mechanism to like not have to like think about painful things constantly. And anytime you do something like that, like once it becomes routine, you get used to it and it becomes harder and harder to tap into those emotions. Yeah, right. You, you on Jump Ship have a song called Bad At Love Songs. Uh Uh-huh. Do you still feel like you are bad at writing love songs? Kind of, yeah. I I guess, like, what I would want from a love song or to be able to write in a love song is to, like, give someone else a feeling of, like, happiness. I've written this love song for you, and, like, I love you, and here's my expression of how much I love you. And then their response is, wow, this is amazing. But I feel like... In my experience, both listening to love songs and writing them, it's way more selfish than that. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) It's way more, you know, like, this is how I feel. And I also don't really know how to, like we talked about before, tap into, like, the happiness of Mm -hmm. love. So when I'm, like, writing a love song, it's probably, you know, you've hurt me, um, which is, you know, a selfish perspective of the situation it's it's one person writing their story and their side of of a love story i would say as far as a love song though it's pretty effective it's it's more of a longing song in a way but that is a type of love yeah yeah i would say most of the love songs i've written at least is longing you released that song about three years ago when you listen and think about it now how do you reflect upon it I like listening to it. <laughs> I, it's, uh, it's sweet. It's, it's like probably the only nice love song I've ever written. And I like that I have that. And it's like a sweet memory. I specifically remember writing it. I remember, you know, everything about, about it. And, um, it's, it holds like a nice little place in my heart. <laughs> That's beautiful. It takes you back to where you were when you were writing it. And it was a very sweet and innocent feeling. That's beautiful. I love that a lot. Like It's nice when you could be transported back into the past and feel that excitement again or that euphoria. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of bad at love songs, you and I were, were talking a little bit about, in general, bad love songs. Yeah. Do you have a few songs that you think are like the worst examples of, of love songs or, or super cliche. Cause I was going through in my head, a bunch of them. If it makes me laugh, uh-huh. then I think it's a bad love song. Any song that's too melodramatic. Uh-huh. My friend brought up the song in casual conversation, my wish by rascal flats. Okay. And that it like, I listened to it and I just think this is way too heavy fisted and sentimental. Like it, it makes me laugh as opposed <laughs> to feeling endeared by it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Cause I had a lot of trouble. I, <laughs> I started listening to a Spotify playlist that was like 2010s, 2000s and nineties love songs. And I was like, this is going to have like the answer to this question. Like all of uh-huh. the world's worst love songs are going to be on this list. And I started listening to it and there were songs that I definitely am like, I don't 
like this song. I don't, I don't feel anything while I'm listening to this song. Mm-hmm. But then there were songs that I'm like, okay, I would classify like Sarah Bareilles's love song. Yes. As like a bad love song. Right. But like yeah. that shit rocks. Like it's a jammer. Oh, yeah. Like I'm not mad that it's on. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I, I guess like I felt that way about most of the songs that kept coming on, but I will say one that really stood out was I'm yours by Jason Mraz. Oh man. That song was huge. Like 10 years ago. Right. And like Jason Mraz is the absolute worst. Yes. <laughs> that was what, I don't know. My roommate and I were brainstorming about it and he was like, what about fireflies? And I was like, Oh, that one's oh, yeah. that, like fake postal service band. And we turned that on and that song is not about love. So bad song, not a bad love song. I, I pulled up the lyrics to I'm Yours by Jason Mraz. I forgot how terrible the song is. <laughs> Everyone loved this song. Like I It was know. hugely popular. Mm-hmm. But then I was thinking of like songs that I love that are bad. Like Kiss from a Rose is such a good love song, but it's, it's such a jam. So bad. There's certainly room for like simplistic music, no. except, unless you're Jason Mraz. While I'm while I have him up on my computer, it says uh-huh. people also search for, and this is sad. Hey, Soul Sister by Train. Should we talk about Hey, Soul Sister? I don't. Is there more to talk about than this song is bad? It has my favorite bridge <laughs> of a song. There's a line, and and if you don't know the song, for those listening, God bless you. <laughs> Nobody doesn't know the song. It's it's just very like kind of like I'm yours is very like ukulele based like simple poppy song. Yeah. And the bridge goes, the way you can cut a rug, watching you is the only drug I need. So gangster, I'm so thug. (laughs) That is, like, I would love to ask him. Be like, when you brought that to the band, what was the reaction? (laughs) To wrap up a little bit, when when do you uh, anticipate your your albums are going to be released, your new album? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know what to do. It's crazy. I mean, we're almost finished. Evan, Evan's mixing it. He's losing his mind um, in quarantine mixing records. And this is just, he's like, I have it finished. And then he like learns a new trick and he's like, I'm going to redo the whole thing. And, <laughs> and we're like, well, there's nothing else to do. You know, like we don't have any deadlines, so you may as well do what you want. It could potentially be ready to be sent to someone else to listen to uh-huh. soon. Thank you so much for coming on. I, Love this conversation. It was a wonderful. We, we really had a range of, of topics we discussed today. Yeah, I hope that's okay. No, I. Uh, this was perfect. I think. Okay, great. You can find no thank yous music on Bandcamp and Spotify, and I highly, highly, highly recommend picking up their album. All it takes to ruin it all. And there you have it. That's how to write a love song. I hope you learned something from that. I won't be attempting to write any love songs anytime soon, but it is a great way to show how you feel. Please remember to support all of the artists you heard today, Sweetbread, Steady Hands, No Thank You, and every artist you adore on Bandcamp and Spotify. Thank you to Melody, Sean, and Katie for coming on the show and sharing their experiences and letting us use their music. Next week, we're going to hear some stories about self-discovery with some old friends. If you have a story you'd like to share, please email us at outofloveshow at gmail.com. Please subscribe to and review our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, throw us a subscribe. It's free and easy. Out of Love is a production of We Will Media and is recorded at Hex Street Studios. It is hosted and produced by Dan Casarella. 
The show is mixed by Ethan Farmer, our associate producer. Aaron Bradley is our art director. The opening theme is Acolyte, and the closing theme is Toronto Mug, both written and performed by Slaughter Beats Dog. Special thanks for today's episode to Emily Hacks of Lamo Records and Virginia Wright, who had huge parts in helping us book today's show, and of course, Ian Farmer. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Stay lovely.